Wake up, Daddy Sean. Hello, and welcome to this week's Alpha Sign. With me, your host, the Alpha. Sit back, grab a cup of tea, cup of coffee, a beer, or if it's particularly cold where you are, a shot of whiskey, and relax and enjoy. Now we start with AEW Dynamite from Wednesday the 23rd of February 2022. The road to revolution rolled through Bridgeport, Connecticut Wednesday as AEW hit TBS Airwaves with an episode of Dynamite that featured a blockbuster tag team match, a TBS championship defence, a high stake Battle Royal, and the latest from Daniel Bryan, who emerged with momentum on their side ahead of the March 6th pay-per-view extravaganza. Find out now. The teams involved in this week's ridiculous match, the Gun Club, FTR, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, 2.0, the Middle-Aged Bucks, the Butcher and the Blade, Best Friends, Santana and Ortiz, Private Party. The Dork Orders, John Silver and Alex Reynolds. AEW's tag teams battled for the right to advance to Revolution on Sunday, March 6th and challenged Jurassic Expresso for the tag team titles. One early noteworthy happenings saw Matt Hardy walk out on Private Party Enhancing the scepticism that the Hardy family office has experienced of late. Santana dumped both members of 2.0, FTR dumped the Bucks, Nick Jackson and Red Dragons, Kyle O'Reilly and Fish teed off with Trent of the best friends. Beretta recovered and clotheslined Fish to the floor. Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus and Christian Cage watched from the ramp as Silver dumped Cash Wheeler, leaving inevitable members six different teams remaining. Individual members of six different teams remaining. Marto Jackson, Kyle O'Reilly. Eliminated Santana and Beretta, putting an end to their championship aspirations. With Jackson, O'Reilly, Silver, Dax Harwood left. The crowd came alive with chants of Johnny Hungy, obviously favouring the jacked-up underdog from the Dork Order. The previously eliminated Fish assisted Riley in eliminating Harwood. Jackson and O'Reilly double-teamed Silver, dumping him to the floor. O'Reilly quickly betrayed Jackson, sending him to the floor, punching both he and Fisher's ticket to the revolution. After the match, AEW World Heavyweight Champion, Hangman Adam Page, hit the ring, laying into the victors in retaliation for their sneak attack on him a week ago. The Bucks walked out, refusing to help. O'Reilly and the fish. 
Adam Cole hit the ring but quickly found himself in peril. His buddy saved him from his buddy saved him while the Bucks watched on Silver sent O'Reilly back into the ring to eat a buckshot lariat. Result Red Dragon one. Eight out of ten. My thoughts. This first match came down to six or so teams that improvised extraordinarily well. The action was better. The interactions were crisper. The storytelling possibly opens up the biggest takeaway with different decisions between Rito Dragon and the Young Bucks. A friendship that is non-existent without Adam Cole bridging the gap between them. Their current Their current disillusion between the two groups is ridiculous. The moment O'Reilly had the opportunity to stab Matt in the back and win the match for his own benefit, he did. The middle-aged Bucks reacted by ignoring the arse-whooping Paige unleashed following the bout. It was a small character work that we'll be called back to later on when the Bucks find themselves on opposite side from Cole under the red dragon in a war for dominance. Paige cut a promo on Cole clear after clearing the ring was great even if it's unlikely to have long-term effects on the storytelling. The AW World Champion is a great babyface promo and it was on display here. The great problem with this was I'm sure you already know they booked him like a jobber and like shit for months and then now, all of a sudden, it is important that he has to be booked pow, 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 like a world beater. When, if he'd have been booked from day one as a world beater, this would mean something. Next, MJF hit the ring to a chorus of boos and proceeded to cut the promo of the night in which he expressed his love for the pro wrestling business and all elite wrestling. He recalled a childhood of learning disabilities, attention deficit disorder and being bullied by his own teammates on the high school football team. He said there was one person he looked up to, CM Punk. He recalled training and watching tapes in his journey to be a wrestler. He blamed Punk for leaving him high and dry when he needed him the most. He vowed to never quit on some young kids that look up to him, unlike Punk. Who did that to him. He swore he would not quit no matter how badly he was beaten with the steel chain in a dog collar match at the revolution. CM Punk made his way to the ring looking like he wasn't sure he should believe this or not and asked MJF if his promo was real. No shit. No wrestling angles. Was that real? The response a walkout that drew booze from the skeptical audience. Fifty out of the ten. MJF honored most honorable ancestor with a greater promo. Yes, I've been watching Mulan. This extraordinary promo work from MJF, whose time spent cutting promos in front of the mirror in the same vein as Punk clearly paid off. The one negative is that MJF is clearly 
vile, vindictive, unlikable and a bad guy and a great heel and has been treated as such for so long that there is no reason to believe anything he says. There is a constant cloud of impending doom awaiting anyone who has suckered into his trap. That was the case here. The question is, where is this heading? Is Punk going to allow himself to fall prey to the inevitable, or will he shake off the obvious mind games and deliver the beating we fully expect him to dish out on March 6th? At the revolution! We will find out sooner than later. And let me tell you, I think that promo was great. Honestly, in my opinion, I think I'd go against the idiocies of how modern wrestling is booked now. I'd have MJF win this match. You know, by a stooge or distraction or something. So that CM Punk gets another moral victory but MJF runs his mouth and runs his mouth and runs his mouth saying I've beaten you twice if MJF was to beat CM Punk in this match the dog collar match a match that Punk picked I think that would elevate MJF so much more if we say he's shot into outer space now Another win over CM Punk and he'd hit the moon and still have momentum to continue going, in my honest opinion. Then, if they have a third match and CM Punk finally gets his win back, it doesn't take any of the heat or any of the credibility away from MJF. That's just my opinion. If I was booking it, that's how I'd book it. However, next is the Death Triangle, Pack and Penta versus the Knights of the Black Throne. The Knights of the Black Throne, Malachi Black and Brody King, made their way to the squared circle for a showdown with Pack and Penta. Now, Pack, whatever they've changed his name to this week, he entered with a heaping hand of theatrical risings from beyond after Black sprayed him with the black mist during their last encounter. Death Triangle started hot, wiping out Black and King out, but the heels assumed control of the bout heading into the commercial break. They continued to set the tone, overwhelming the opposition and proving that fancy entrances could not negate the effect of Brody King. However, Brody King is green. You can see the green dripping from his pores and everything. Until Pack and Penta took the big man out of the equation. Penta scored the pinfall victory over Black in what had to be considered an upset. After the match, King overwhelmed the victors slamming the masked luchador and threatening to damage him 
with a shovel. The lights went off and when they came back in, Buddy Matthew made his AW debut, a.k.a. Buddy Murphy, before he was nicknamed just Murphy in WWE, because Vince decided he didn't like both names. For whatever fucking reason. Black backed off, remembering who it was that left him with a damaged right eye. Buddy obliterated Pac, then Penta, while King wiped out the security detail at the urging of Black. Matthews dropped Penta's face into the steel chair and stood tall, the latest member of the sudden stronger House of Black. Result, Death Triangle defeated the Knights of the Black Throne. Mm, 7 out of 10. My thoughts. This is definite, there is definitely an argument to be made that Black should not be eating pinfalls in meaningless tag team matches. That he will be a footnote in the larger story later. He is the leader of the House of Black and should be protected as such. With that said, in moments of weakness, he still prevailed thanks to the arrival of Buddy. Having Black beg off to the extent he did was a great touch. Fully aware of his right eye is damaged and discoloured to the extent that it is Murphy choosing the devil he knows rather than going out in a new land is an interesting choice. Black's experience for the relationship should make for interesting television. Kudos to Tony of the House Khan for continuing to present King like a world beater, even though he is dripping green. You couldn't get more green from King if you were to put him in a forest. However, King looks like a badass and is trying to work like one. And the creative has backed him to this point. The only problem, as I've said, is the green. Next, Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston face to face. The tension between Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston spilled over into a verbal back and forth that saw Chris Jericho run down Kingston as a jobber while propping himself up recalling his many main events and world titles. Kingston responded by saying, he has been real in his entire career and isn't about cutting people's legs off from underneath and going to management and bitching about them. His blood does not pump Kool-Aid and it is stronger than that. And Jericho is not ready for that. He wants to fight. Jericho claimed Kingston is afraid of achieving success and that he cannot win the big one. If he if he does, if Kingston beats Jericho, he will look him in the eye and shake his hand and declare his respect for the beloved babyface live in the ring. Kingston told his rival to bring back the Jericho of old, the Jericho that was the first 
WWE Undisputed Champion. The man that turned WCW upside down and the man that pissed off Paul Triple H Levesque in WWE. The man who went to New Japan and got over on his own. The man that has consistently been a world beater in promotions until he came here and then started to just suckle off his own fat and live off his own ego. Kingston claims he doesn't want the Jericho from the Mimosa match and he doesn't want Jericho that f fell off the cage onto an obviously phony floor that was obviously over padded and then milk an arm injury for months and months and months. Chris Jericho retaliated that Kingston cannot win the big one and walked out. Now, if Jericho hadn't have said, well, Kingston, you can't win the big one and just walked out, I would have given that promo a 50 out of 10. However, it has to have a 49. All because of Jericho and his ego. My thoughts. This was an excellent promo work from two of the best talkers of this era that are not Punk and MJF. Jericho was a smarmy asshole while Kingston spoke the realism and connection that has made him so incredibly beloved by the AEW fans. This match is going to be so emotionally intense as anything on the Revolution card on what they lack in dives and raw flips, tricks and dance routines enthusiasm they will make up for with storytelling and credibility that the younger flips, tricks and dance routine stars only wish that they could replicate. The only thing that could be better, the promos that I hope will precede this. Next, we have a face of the revolution ladder match. Fuck the world champion, Ricky Starks versus 10 of the Dork Order. Fresh off a narrow loss to world champ to the world title number one contender, Adam Cole, Dork Order's 10 looks to cash his ticket to the face of the Revolution ladder match. To do so, he would have to defeat the Fuck the World champion, Absolute Ricky Starks, who was accompanied to the ring by the massive powerhouse, Big Willa Helps. Stacks Starks, controlled throughout the pitcher and pitcher commercial break, only for 10 to apply the full Nelson. Starks tried to fight out, so Tan leveled him with a discus clothesline, which popped the AW crowd. An alert, Starks grabbed at the mask, halting the momentum and delivered a spear for the win. Results, Starks defeated Ten of the Dork Order. Five out of ten. 
There was nothing inheritably wrong with this one, but it felt like it never... It felt like 10 never had much of a chance of winning. It felt like it never got off the ground. Sure, 10 controlled late, but Starks outsmarted him for the win in a match that was one-dimensional and one heavily one-sided. The victory gives Team Taz two entries into the upcoming ladder match, considering the beef already qualified for the match in the aforementioned holes. Keith Lee and Wardlow, it was time to add a smaller competitor who can bump around for them. Starks is that guy, but he's resilient and cunning enough to win despite the lack of size. Next, the TBS champion Jade Cargill, 27-0 thus far in AW, defended her title against the Bunny Wednesday night. Cargill showed her unrivaled power and athleticism early, but the Bunny fought back and worked her over during the commercial break. She continued to keep the champion off guard to the surprise of the commentary team, but a spine buster by Jade turned the tide back in her favour. Matt Hardy, the leader of the Hardy family office, threw brass knuckles to the bunny. Cargill used the TBS title introduced by smart Mark Sterling before both managers were eliminated. Sent to the back. Sent to the showers, if you will. Bunny rolled up Cargill for a two count, then rocked her with a super kick. Jade answered, countering down the rabbit hole with the jaded for the win and successful title defense. After the match, Ty Conti emerged from the locker room as the next challenger for the TBS championship. When she found herself beaten down by the heels, Anna Jay rushed the ring with a steel chair and chased them off. Result, Jade defeated the bunny. Five out of ten. My thoughts. This was a fun way to work around heel versus heel nature of the match, with Hardy and Sterling getting involved only to be tossed from ringside and given and gave way to the end of the bout. Jade looked impressive as she does every time she takes to the ring. She's losing that green quickly. And the Bunny's experience helped to guide her to one of her better television matches. The introduction of Ty Conti to the title picture is an interesting choice, to say the least. Since her television presence has been limited of late, but she is a breakout star of the company on one of the more pleasant superstars and pleasurable superstars to watch of the 2021. Whether she is experienced and good enough yet to get a pay-per-view quality match out of Jade is a question. Expect a tag match pitting Jade and the Bunny against Tyre J against Tyre and Jay at some point in the near future. So, a rampage started 
with both Sammy Guevara and Andrea Leo already in the ring. And the action was underway within seconds. Guevara took Andre down by his legs and hit a few shots before they got back to their feet. They had a nice exchange of technical and traditional wrestling and back and forth punches and kicks. And Andre offered a handshake. Guevara flipped him off. So Andre knocked him on his ass with a shoulder tackle. Guevara hit a beautiful Spanish fly out of nowhere for a two count. Guevara tried to hit a springboard RKO. But Andre shoved him off the top rope into the barricade. We returned from a five minute commercial break. In which... Subway ya was being advertised and that was the high pitch and the tone of our bullshit ever. Anyway, we returned from the break to see Andre kick out of an inside cradle. Andre was in full control until Guevara countered a back suplex and hit a clothesline. He called for the GTH but couldn't hit it before Andre escaped. Andre hit a DDT on the apron that sent Guevara crushing, crashing to the ground. Guevara recovered when he was put on the top rope so he hit a Spanish fly from the top to get another near fall. Matt Hardy removed one of the turnbuckle pads while Andre had the referee distracted. Andre tried to hit a DDT from the top rope, but Guevara tripped him and he hit the exposed turnbuckle on the way down. Guevara went to the apron and hit a springboard RKO for the win to retain his titles. Eight out of ten. My thoughts. Given these guys as much time as possible by skipping entrances was smart because they used every second to make this a fun, exciting match. It had a little bit of everything, including the bleh, which you can't take seriously. They started with some simple wrestling and escalated to higher flying tricks and dance routine and eventually led to power moves and unloading on each other with strikes whenever they had the chance. Even with a few people at ringside, it never felt like the interference was excessive. They kept the action in the ring, and it helped make this one of Andre's best matches so far. Next, Nick Camarado versus Wardlow. Camarado threw Wardlow with a gut wrench suplex right when the match began, but Wardlow kept up and immediately took control with a few throws of his own. We returned from the break to see Camarado whip Wardlow to the corner. He pressed MJF's bodyguard up, but Wardlow escaped and slammed him with one arm. Camarado countered a powerbomb, but Wardlow reversed it and hit it anyway. Sean Spears marked out as he watched Wardlow unleash a second powerbomb. He hit a third and stepped on Camarado's chest, 
to cover him for the win. Eh. 8 out of 10. It wasn't Wardlow's best, but I think it was one of Camarado's. The only problem is there was no solo at ringside or a go-go. My thoughts. Using picture-in-picture picture option to continue watching the show during commercials is great, but a match should have most of its action taking place should not have most of its action taking place during the break. It's fine for the live crowd, but it's not ideal for those watching at home. Other than that, this was a nice display for two powerhouses showing off what brought them to the dance. With more time, they could probably have put on quite a show. However, however with Wardlow in the face of the Revolution match, I don't think he should have been in a match with Camarado. I think they should have put him in a match with smaller guys, with job guys, and just have Wardlow beat two job guys. And that's my opinion on that match. Next, Serena Deebs versus Kaya Sparks. As soon as she entered the ring, Deeb took out Sparks with a clothesline. She used her robe as a weapon before putting Sparks on the top rope and stretching her with an illegal submission for a four count. After pushing her for a minute, Deeb applied the security lock for the win. Great squash match. Five out of ten. My thoughts. Squash matches are tricky. Sometimes they make somebody look great and other times it feels like a waste of everybody's time. What's great about Deeb is she uses every second of her short time in these bouts to put on a clinic and a convincing beatdown. It would be better to see her having competitive matches on her level sooner or later, but just getting to see her wreck opponents in squash matches will be enough for a lot of people for the time being because she does it so good and so well. Next, Bowens versus the company mascot Orange Cassidy. I'm not even going to review the match. It was flips, tricks, dance routines, bullshit interference, and the company mascot won. Friday Night Smackdown is on the road to WrestleMania 38. The main event were set focused on the champions of the blue brands on the 25th of February's edition of SmackDown. And SmackDown would focus on building the historic card for the most stupendous two-night event in WrestleMania history. Ha! Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar have been on a collision course since before 2022 began. The Beast Incarnate has done everything in his power to guarantee he would face the head of the table as WWE World Heavyweight Champion. Roman Reigns, being the reigning and defending undisputed Universal Heavyweight Champion of the World, the two champions would sign the contract for their match on SmackDown. 
Algenerico himself, Sami Zayn, once more holds the Intercontinental Championship gold. He defeated Shinsuke Nakamura last week to become a three-time WWE Intercontinental Champion. He promised a celebration on this week's SmackDown. Following an intensive and physical battle at WWE Elimination Chamber against Mad Cop Moss, Drew McIntyre would finally get his hands on Happy Corbin in a one-on-one -on -one match. Charlotte Flair continued to dodge Ronda Rousey, but their match set for the main event on the first night of WrestleMania 38. The Queen would need to find a way to get some advantage over the baddest woman on the planet. Personally, I'd still say they should change her nickname to the baddest bitch on the planet, but hey. WWE did not promise much on paper for this week's SmackDown, but anticipation on the road to WrestleMania is always surprising and anything can happen on any given week. Death to the Raiders To start off Friday Night Smackdown, the demonic screechings of Michael Cole interviewed Ronda Rousey about her returning to WWE. She brought up breaking both her hands and having her child before having a chance to think about returning. The demonic screaming brought up the tag match at Elimination Chamber, which brought out Charlotte Flair. As Charlotte Flair taunted the baddest woman on the planet, Sonia Cruella Deville attacked Rousey from behind. The two women tried to injure Rousey by going after her right leg, but the baddest bitch on the planet fought out of their grip and sent Deville running. Adam Page and Adam Pierce, sorry, wrong show, announced next week that Deville would fight Rousey next week in Miami. Later that night, the baddest bitch on the planet promised to show the world what happens when authority outsteps the line and tries it with her. I'm going to give this a 5 out of 10. My thoughts. This was a hell of an awkward way to open the night. Ronda did not sound confident talking about herself. She is supposed to be the baddest bitch on the planet in the ring, but struggles to sell herself on the mic. She needs a manager sooner rather than later. The story seems to be that Charlotte will attempt to hurt and injure Ronda Rousey before WrestleMania to say her SmackDown championship is in danger makes sense, but it's hardly a story big enough to main event night one of WrestleMania 38. Next, The New Day versus Los Lovers, Los Lotharios. Biggie and Kofi drove out ATVs that Kofi had bought for his friend. Los Lotharios isolated Kingston early on, hoping to keep E out of action. However, 
Big E found his opening and tagged in and took over. E caught Angel with the elevated bulldog and Umberto was barely able to break up the pin attempt. Angel caught Kofi with a super kick for a near fall. After doing New Day bullshit, Big E threatened to run over Umberto outside with his ATV. Again, more New Day bullshit. Threatening to run someone over with an ATV. And people wonder why I think the New Day should be fired. Gotten rid of permanently. Oi, oi, oi. This distracted Angel long enough for E and Kofi to catch him. With a rip-off of the Midnight Express's finishing manoeuvre to win. Seamus and Ridge Holland challenged Ian Kofi for a match backstage further down the line. Result, Big Ian Kofi defeated Los Lotharios 0 out of 10. New Day need to be fired. Los Lotharios deserve much better. And that's my thoughts. Next, Natalia versus Zaya Lee. However, before that match... Shinsuke Nakamura and Rick Boogs went on to test drive a new Toyota and kayfabing a trip together. The Viking Raiders attacked the Usos during an interview demanding the title match they deserve. Lee promised to make Natalia pay for bullying Aya before she made her entrance. Natalia dominated Zaya Lee early wearing her down, stretching her out. The protector fought back, hitting an explosive arm trap suplex. Natalia tried to get the sharpshooter locked in, but Lee kicked her out, then hit a roundhouse kick for the victory. Lee defeated Natalia by a pinfall, 3 out of 10. It may have taken four months, but Lee finally made her SmackDown debut. The crowd was flat, which didn't help this match. That was fairly one note. Natalia has always been good enough to allow someone to look good, but she needs great opponents to push her. Lee did her job here. She's not the type of performer yet that can elevate her opponent or knows how to elevate herself. She will need to work with someone and some of the best in the women's division to knock some of the green off her and to test her. For now, she needs wins. Next, Johnny Knoxville ruins El Generico, aka Sami Zayn's WWE Intercontinental Championship celebration. Sami Zayn sung with delight as he finally overcame the conspiracy to get his Intercontinental Championship back. He promised Shinsuke Nakamura he would get his rematch once his knee healed from the bruising attack of the Great Liberator in last week's match. Johnny Knoxville arrived, hearing Zane's open offer to anyone for a shot at the WWE Intercontinental Championship, the Jackass star taunted the Great Liberator until he beat down Knoxville and hit two Haluma kicks 
Adam Pearce questioned Zayn about his actions backstage when the botch master himself, Ricochet, challenged him for a shot at the Intercontinental Championship. Pearce made it official. 6 out of 10. While Knoxville is not the most exciting competitor for Zayn at WrestleMania, this was inevitable. The Jackass star is popular getting the loudest reactions of the first hour of the show from this taped crowd. His name is still in the spotlight thanks to Jackass Forever, so why wouldn't WWE want to capitalise? Zayn is entertaining when he tries his best. He sold the moment perfectly. He made it clear that Knoxville isn't a mental or physical threat to him. He has caused Zayn to lose his call on a couple of occasions and may have jumped the line for a title shot. Next, Naomi joined the commentary table for this match as Sasha Banks sent Shotzi to the mat immediately trying to lock in the bank statement but her rival countered her. Shotzi blocked her and hit the blocked the three amigos as well as hitting a running senton on the bottom rope. Seriously I'm fucked off with these sentons all the time. Sasha Banks responded with a meteora and a running Low double knee face buster followed by a backstabber. She locked in the bank statement to win. Naomi walked into the ring and announced that she and Banks were going after the Women's Tag Team Championship. Result, Banks defeated Shotzi by submission. 3 out of 10. My thoughts. This was better than the previous match, but it was fairly one-sided. Banks gave Shotzi a few more moves, only to squash her with one strong sequence. That is disappointing, as the two women seem to have a legitimate rivalry at the end of 2021. It was just nice to see Sasha Banks at it again. She and Naomi can be a great tag team. It is disappointing, though, that WWE has continuously thrown teams together in the women's division, to keep the Women's Tag Team Championship remotely relevant. This could have been put together over several weeks at least and set up for a great match at WrestleMania, if done correctly. But the writers who need to be shot, boiled in oil and have their fat sold for soap have no fucking idea what's going on. They're just circle-jerking cockroaches. Next, Happy Corbin seemed ready to fight for Madcap Moss, who was still hurt after WWE Elimination Chamber. However, once Corbin got in the ring, he backed down, talking Moss into fighting Drew McIntyre again instead. Corbin and Moss beat down the Scottish Warrior before the match. Once the bell rung, McIntyre headbutted Moss. Sorry about that, people. Um, headbutted Moss taking over and threatening to plant him with a reverse Alabama slam again. Corbin distracted the referee and McIntyre to save Moss from a claymore. This allowed Moss to hit a thump, a thumb to the eye, and McIntyre 
hard into the steel post and a near win. However, the heel went off the ropes to build up steam. He ran into the Claymore, which sealed the deal for the Scottish Warrior. Result, McIntyre defeated Moss by the pinfall. Three out of ten. My thoughts, this was another match that WWE did not need to happen. Again, the writers, the creative team, may death be upon them. Are fucking assholes with no fucking sense. This story makes no sense. As Corbin continues to use Moss to save himself, but these two men did not have enough chemistry to keep making matches interesting. It was impressive, though, that Moss was able to compete after that brutal botch one week ago. This feud between McIntyre and Corbin has been stretched out way too long. Way too long, baby. Way, way, way too long. It's been stretched out for months. Treating McIntyre versus Corbin like a much bigger attraction than it actually is. At this point, WWE has no choice but to put it, put it on the WrestleMania card, though, because there's too much TV time behind it not to. The best way McIntyre versus Corbin can go is the Scottish Warrior to win quickly and decisively to continue building him as a top challenger to Roman Reigns down the line. Next, Heyman hyped up everyone on why Everybody needs to understand that Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar was the biggest WrestleMania match of all of the times. Lesnar taunted and disrespected Reigns repeatedly before signing the contract. Roman Reigns got visibly annoyed and his facial his facial reactions to this were perfect. And so were Brock Lesnar's. This was Great. Just great. With the head of the table visibly annoyed, finally grabbing a microphone after signing the contract, Reigns revealed that he had brought a security team in the ring as they tried to attack Lesnar. He took them all out. The beast looked amazingly strong here he looked like a world beater <coughs> Roman Reigns may have his cousins the Usos and Paul Heyman there at Wrestlemania but Reigns he is a world beater himself but they made Brock look amazing they made Brock look like Reigns needed the backup it was a great segment. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. This week's Monday Night Raw started when Kevin Owens came out with a side hat on to kick off the show. He brought out Seth Rollins and proclaimed they would win the Raw Tag Team titles next week. 
they made their way to the ring for another episode of the Kevin Owens Show. They welcomed Otis and Chad Gable as their guests for the night. They traded the usual insults you would expect in this kind of segment. Very predictable. Kevin Owens ended up hitting Chad Gable with a stunner. So this was turned into a tag team match during the break. We returned to see Otis and Kevin Owens duking it out. Kevin Owens was unable to knock the big man down, but Otis had no issue taking him off his feet with a spinning back fist. Rollins tagged in, but Otis knocked him off the apron into the barricade. Gable came in and started focusing on Rollins' left arm. The tag champs kept him isolated with quick tags to keep themselves fresh. We returned from another break to see Cable keeping Owens grounded. By attacking his knee, Rollins got the hot tag and started taking it to the Olympian with a series of quick strikes and takedowns. He knocked Otis off the apron and hit the Falcon Arrow for a two count. Nice to see Seth Rollins using his old finisher. After a buckle bomb from Rollins and a stunner from Owens and a stomp from Rollins, Gable was finally pinned to end the match. I'm going to give this a 10 out of 10. Not only did we get a funny talk show segment to kick things off, but the tag match that followed featured the same four guys. It was great. Gable is low-key one of the funniest and most athletic people in WWE right now. The exchange he and Owens had on the mic is almost guaranteed to put a smile on your face. The in-ring action in the tag match was well-paced and looked fantastic. You can't ask for more from the first half hour of Monday Night Raw in this new modern era. Next match, T-Bar versus Omos. As soon as T-Bar stepped onto the apron, Omos knocked him off into the barricade. He dragged T-Bar to the middle of the ring and the referee refused to start the match. Omos picked him up and put him in the corner. T-Bar tried to recover and said he could go, so the referee started the match. T-Bar avoided a charging Omos in the corner but couldn't avoid a clothesline that followed. The big man picked him up by his neck and slammed him down for the win. 3 out of 10. My thoughts. WWE has clearly called on Ormos a bit, but it looks like they're still trying to push him at the same time. Management appears to be backing him, but the Raiders... These circle-jerking writers that have got nothing to do with the wrestling business and no knowledge of it, who deserve to be lined up, shot, and have their fat boiled in oil and sold for soap, have no fucking clue about the wrestling business, and they've decided that, while management might want Omos over, they're going to try and derail him at all costs. Management is back at putting him in squash matches, which is probably the best thing for him 
until he can do more in the ring. Unfortunately, this meant T-Bar had to take a loss. The way they went about it is what's screwy. If T-Bar had got in the ring, then he'd have been dominated. and If he'd have come in the ring at least, and then Omos had squashed him, it would have been more dominant and it would have fit the persona that WWE management clearly have in mind for Amos. That being said, T-Bar had much better ring gear than he did during his retribution phase, so at least he appears to be going back to his personality he had in NXT. Before the Raiders decided to put this shitty retribution gimmick together which fucked up big time while this wasn't much of a match it did make almost look dangerous let's just hope we don't have to sit through another few months of squash matches before wwe puts almost in a meaningful feud again next becky lynch teamed up with nikki ash and dewdrop who are two of her former rivals to take on our favourite dominatrix Rhea Ripley, Liv Morgan and the Narcissist in a six-woman tag match. Lynch asked for the Narcissist to start, but instead of locking up big-time Bex, dragged her and tagged in Nikki. Morgan came in and had a slightly awkward exchange with Nikki before Dewdrop tagged in. The narcissist came in and tried to suplex Dewdrop, but she had to call in our favourite dominatrix Rhea Ripley for help to get it done. The three heels were sent out of the ring so Morgan could take them all down or they dive from the turnbuckle. And everybody and their cat saw that coming when the three heels were knocked down. We returned from a commercial break. To see the narcissist roll up Lynch for a quick two count. Lynch used the narcissist's hair to yank her into the ring post. Big time Bex, Nikki and Dewdrop each took turns pushing the narcissist and punishing the narcissist. But as usual the narcissist refused to sell and refused to be kept down for a pin. The narcissist screamed, I'm going WrestleMania, bitch. Ain't no one pinning me for I go to Mania. Again, what the fuck? The fact that the only way to keep the narcissist down was for Becky Lynch to grab her hair and force it down and to stand on it is a massive fucking problem with the narcissist that WWE management refuses to deal with. If this ghetto persona of the narcissist is all because of the writers, then fuck those guys. Have them shot and boiled in oil and have them sold for soap. Death to the writing team. 
if it's WWE management that like this persona for the narcissist, then they don't need to be in management anymore. As far as I'm concerned, this ghetto persona of the narcissist has gone on way too long. The narcissist should be fired and sent somewhere else, maybe to New Japan or maybe to garbage wrestling where nobody actually has to put up with her and her ego and her narcissism anymore. Ripley f finally managed to tag in, which was great. She went after Lynch with everything she had. She leveled the champion with a low drop kick and hit a face buster for a quick near fall that was broken up by Dewdrop. We got to the part of every six-person match where everybody takes turns taking out each other. Then, and why the referee decided that this was perfectly fine, when in times where the wrestling business was taken properly, this would have been a disqualification. The narcissist whipped Becky Lynch with her hair. Let that sink in. The narcissist whipped Becky Lynch with her hair. Referee didn't disqualify this. Referee just allowed it. This is fucking ridiculous. The fact that on commentary, the announcers turned around and said that the bruises on Lynch appeared quicker than they would have done if a kendo stick had been used. The fact that they said the whipping sound was worse than if the narcissist had actually hit her with a kendo stick and a whip is fucking ridiculous. That should have been a disqualification. While she was whipping her, the narcissist screamed, That's what you deserve, bitch. That's why bitches like you deserve. Ain't no one putting me down. I ain't putting no one over. Several times before she scored the win over Nikki with the KOD. This gets a 3 out of 10. This match would have got a 9 out of 10 if it wasn't for the involvement of the narcissist and her ego. And even when she was on the ropes screaming, My team don't lose. My team ain't losing. My team ain't losing. Y'all, y'all my team. Y'all sell too much. This is fucking ridiculous. Excuse me, there is a message. That's me actually getting a tweet on the Twitter to say that fucking the narcissist. Well, it didn't say the narcissist. It said Bianca Belair and her ego are out of order. WWE need to fire her. And yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. At Real Four Horsemen. I agree with the sentiment. The fact. 
and my thoughts. The fact that the narcissist hit Lynch with her braids and it wasn't a disqualification is ridiculous. This match was enjoyable when anybody but the narcissist was in the ring. It gave a chance for everybody but the narcissist to get over in what would have been a great match. The narcissist spent more time in the ring than the other five women. So that's what considerably lowered the score. It was nice to see them, the other women, get enough time to make this competitive without rushing from spot to spot. Morgan had some nice high spots and Ripley hit some impressive power moves. But all anybody is going to talk about is the way the narcissist whipped Lynch several times, screaming more narcissistical bullshit and the fact that it was allowed to happen. Next, Tommaso Ciampa made another trip up from NXT to take on Robert Roode. This week, this took place because Roode showed up in NXT to help Ziggler take out Ciampa last week. So the show-off was at ringside. Champa was aggressive right out of the gate, but Rude was able to send him out of the ring. They fought in front of Ziggler, but the former world champion did not get involved because the ref was looking right at him. Champa tried to hit the fairy tale ending, but Rude countered into a pin for a two-count. Champa knocked Ziggler off the apron and rolled up Rude for the win. Predictably, the Dirty Dogs attacked Champa after the match was over, leaving him lying in the middle of the ring. I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. I enjoyed the fire from Champa. I enjoyed him seeing take on Robert Roode. I thought the match should have gone longer, but I thought it was great. I thought this match was great. It really washed the taste of narcissist out of my mouth. It was a refreshing change of pace after having to see the narcissist in the ring for so long and her bullshit. My thoughts. This match wasn't necessarily bad, but it did not go as long as it should have done. It did not show us how talented both of these competitors are, as it was quick and designed to get to the post-match beatdown more than anything else. Champa winning was nice, but it was kind of a meaningless victory, especially since he was taken out as soon as a bout was over. The feud between Ziggler and Champa has been great so far, but this was... Because of how quickly the match was over, it felt un as if it was an unnecessary chapter in the story. With five more minutes, this could have been something special. And something worthy of this chapter and worthy of these great men in the ring. Next, Dana Brooke and Tamina started for their teams in this mixed tag match. Brooke hit a head scissors to send Tamina 
to the corner and followed up with a handspring elbow. The powerhouse ran over the 24-7 champion with a clothesline before Tazawa tagged himself in. He and Reggie hit each other with some quick moves, but Reggie went for the pin. Tamina broke it up. Brooke threw Tamina out of the ring while Reggie finished Tazawa off with a flipping senton. Dana and Reggie kissed after the match, and so did Tamina and Tazawa. Two out of ten. My thoughts. This was quick and harmless. It had a couple of good-looking moves, and if you like the comedy in WWE, then this match and the post-match stuff was for you. Unfortunately for me, I didn't like it, and it felt more like teen drama than anything else. Unfortunately, everybody involved in this segment is capable of so much more. This is WWE management letting the riders do all the goofy stuff they want. But it also needs to give these people the opportunity to show off more of their wrestling ability. But no, because the riders got to show off their shit and their bullshit. And run rampant with their verbal effluvia with this teen drama bullshit it was literally like they went here you go here's a match here's a quick match and here's what us the riders these circle jerking riders actually want may death be upon the writing team next was the hurt business versus the mysterios after losing to Amos in a handicap match last week, Cedric Alexander and Chuck and Benjamin were looking to pick up a victory when they stepped into the ring with Dominic and Rey Mysterio. WWE confirmed the Mysterios would face The Miz and Logan at Mania before Rey and Dominic gave a quick promo to hype up the feud. The A-lister came out and talked a little trash before the Hurt Business came to the ring. We returned from a break to see the match already taking place. How many times do I have to say this? Do not start a match in the commercial break. Ray took Benjamin down, but when he went out to the apron, Alexander hit a clothesline to take control. The Hurt Business kept Ray near their corner to prevent a tag. But the luchador always finds a way to escape. He made the hot tag to his son and Dominic took down Benjamin with a crossbody from the top rope. The Miz pulled Dom's legs while the ref was distracted so Ray chased him through the crowd. The distraction allowed Benjamin to roll up Dominic for the win. 9 out of 10. My thoughts other than what the fuck has Shutton Benjamin done that's either upset management or the writers that they keep burying a superstar with his abilities is beyond me. My thoughts, though, 
about the match. Everything in this match looked good until Dominic got in the ring with Benjamin. For some reason, the timing was off in a few paces despite Benjamin trying. It led to some low-key awkward moments. They didn't botch anything big, but you could see the lack of chemistry that Dominic has with Benjamin a few times. And it has been noticed a few times if Dominic has a lack of chemistry with people, there seems to be spots and awkward moments. Every other combination of superstars worked well together, however. Benjamin and Ray. Ray and Benjamin. Ray and Alexandra. Alexander. It is just when Dominic doesn't have chemistry, it's awkward, there's botches, and the timing is off. Like I said, despite Benjamin's best And there was nothing that could be done. However, the way the match ended, it served well to add heat to the WrestleMania match. But I think Chuck and Ben, I think Benjamin should have done a move and ended it that way. I thought that Ray and Dominic losing to a team that hasn't had any success in recent months, really puts over Benjamin and Alexandra. It puts over the Hurt Business. Let's hope they continue to build on this momentum and get wins. The Miz looks better, which is great. However, it just makes the Mysterios look worse, especially considering Dominic's botches and his lack of chemistry on the other hand seeing alexander and benjamin score a win for once was nice they have been dangerously underutilized for so long that it is criminal next rk bro versus the street profits riddle and randy orton faced mr narcissist Montez Ford and Angelo Dawkins in a tag match that started with the original bro and Dawkins in the ring. Once he took Riddle down with a running shoulder tackle, Dawkins brought in the narcissist's husband for a few double team manoeuvres. Riddle countered one of them by pitting Ford into a triangle submission. The Viper tagged in and stomped on every single one of the narcissist husband's limbs before he stomped him in the chest several times. He tried to help Riddle hit and assist floating bro, but the narcissist husband got his knees up for the block. We came back from a commercial break to see Dawkins hitting Riddle with a clothesline to prevent a tag to Orton. Riddle nailed him with a kick and both men crawled to their corners. Orton hit Ford with a couple of clotheslines and a power slam before spiking him with a rope DDT. This is where 
I can only describe what happened as Randy Orton being buried and the street profits being pushed because the narcissist is in a championship picture. So the street profits have to be elevated by association. The high-flying husband of the narcissist hit a beautiful frog splash. He tried, Orton tried to get his foot on the ropes, but Dawkins pushed it off, allowing the narcissist's husband to get the win. I'm going to give this a 9 out of 10. My thoughts. The moment with Orton trying to get his foot on the ropes was a little awkward because he was just slightly too far away to make contact. So Dawkins didn't really have to do anything to help his partner. Everything was great up until that point. All four men worked their butts off to make this a competitive match. And one of the most competitive matches of the night. The narcissist's husband and Orton looked especially fired up at times. Dawkins continues to add new tricks to his repertoire and has also grown into a well-rounded performer. It will be interesting to see if this win leads to the Street Profits being added to next week's tag title match. However, I don't agree with the Street Profits winning. I think <coughs> the RK Bro who are in contention for the tag titles should have come away with the win to give them momentum. And honestly, I believe if it wasn't for Ford being the narcissist's husband, that would have been the case. The next match. Well, after asking for a former world champion level caliber performer to step up and challenge him for the United States Championship last week Damian Priest found himself in a match with Finn Balor this week they started off with a methodical pace that allowed the two competitors to feel each other out Priest grounded Balor in a headlock for a bit but Balor powered out and started stomping on the United States champion until the ref forced him to back off. He took the he took out Archer with a dive over the top rope to send us into a commercial break. We returned from the break to see Priest hit a few strikes and he began to make a comeback. Bala hit an overhead kick to regain control a few moments later. Priest avoided the coup de gras and hit a few kicks to the head followed by a chokeslam for a two count. Balor recovered and hit the coup de grace for the win to become the new United States champion. Damian Priest ended up attacking Balor and slamming him onto the announcer's table. 10 out of 10. My thoughts. I thought this match was fucking amazing and easily the match of the night. With this clean finish, this was somewhat surprising. While not being considered an upset, this was the kind of main event 
that should be seen on Raw every week. Priest continued to show signs of a heel turn that has been teased for months, especially during this post-match promo. In fact, this was a full heel turn thanks to the way he attacked Balor after the match. WWE could run this match at WrestleMania with Priest as a clear heel and it would be a welcome addition to the card. I actually think this match could have taken place in any era. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And it wouldn't have looked out of place. Once WWE lets Priest loose, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. Next, who will step up to Edge? It's time for the main event of the evening. Last week, Edge opened. Edge issued an open challenge for WrestleMania 38. And I, on various social medias, posted an open challenge to see who, who you think and why would win. And I have to give it up to The 7-Up, Blitzy Mania, on Snapchat, who guessed AJ Styles. This week, Edge returned to see if anyone was willing to step up to the plate. When he asked who would accept the challenge, AJ Styles made his way to the ring. The Phenomenal One interacted with the crowd a bit before he came into the ring and face-to-face -face with Edge, a.k.a. the Rated R Superstar. He picked up the mic and simply said, I accept. Edge said he has wanted this match for a long time, but he also wanted the very best version of Styles and not the watered-down version we have seen over the past two years. He wanted... Without saying it, he wanted the New Japan version of Styles. He, what he said was, I, wanted the, I want the Styles that is at the top of his game. Surprisingly, Edge faked a handshake and threw the first punch. Styles was able to rebound but missed the phenomenal forearm. Edge kicked him below the belt to take him down and he started to leave but this violent version of Edge and his violent tendencies got the better of him. He grabbed two chairs from ringside, bought them in the ring, he set one under Styles and one above Styles, guess for what? To hit the concerto. Nine out of ten. This would have got a 10 out of 10 if WWE had actually let Edge say, I want the new Japan version of Styles, where Styles was at his peak and at his very best. When Styles was the IP, or whatever the fuck it is, champion. When Styles was the new Japan world heavyweight champion. That's the Styles I want. The Styles that came to WWE and became the world heavyweight champion 
that's the styles I want. If Edge had said that, 10 out of 10. If Edge, after he'd hit the low blow, had gone out straight for the concerto, 15 out of 10. This walking away and turning around, and, oh, should I and shouldn't I, bollocks is boring. And it's just so, and it's just so fake. My thoughts. While Edge's heel turn felt a bit abrupt, he has always thrived in a role as the antagonist, in the role of the Antichrist, in the role of the heel of heels. Seeing him let loose over the next few weeks is going to be great. If management just say, Styles, Edge, go out and do what you got to do. Fuck the writers. Edge, Styles, go out and get yourselves over. Get the match at Mania over. Styles was one of the only logical choices to accept this challenge. He had no clear direction heading into WrestleMania before this show, but he is one of those performers WWE would be stupid to keep off the card. And given the actions of the writers team, I was genuinely expecting AJ Styles not to be on this year's WrestleMania. This will be a dream match for many fans. If the first segment in this story is any indication, this is going to be violent and an intriguing path to the pay-per-view for both of these two men. Overall, I think this week's show was meh. For Raw, it had some great matches, but it was more shit than it was anything else and it was great to see these two heel turns we saw they worked well and congratulations to Finn Balor on being the new United States champion hopefully he brings back the old United States title which had prestige and looked great now, if we could just get WWE to stop with this unifying the top titles, I think it bodes well post-Mania. With Finn Balor as United States Champion, Brock as World Heavyweight Champion, <coughs> and Roman Reigns as the Undisputed Universal champion if WWE want to do something and and fuse the two titles I would love for them to bring back the undisputed title and then when it's time to separate them again bring back the big gold belt to Raw or to Smackdown or whatever one doesn't have the undisputed title on it. Also get the United, the Intercontinental title off of Sami Zayn and give it to somebody. Here's an idea. Have Dolph Ziggler go over to SmackDown, win the Intercontinental title from Sami Zayn and just have him go on a tear for the next year and a half to build up the prestige of the title again. Also get rid of the new Intercontinental title. 
and go back to the old one. That's my thoughts on how WWE could set themselves up great post-mania. Also, get rid of the writing team and have William Regal as a booker. And give him an assistant booker and just let WWE come back to greatness. Do you know what I was just thinking about? Have Tomasa Ciampa become Intercontinental Champion. Have him be on SmackDown and on NXT. However, they need to keep him strong. Let Tommaso Ciampa come over to SmackDown, have him win the title at WrestleMania from Sami Zayn, and just be have him as an undefeated Intercontinental Champion on SmackDown for the best part of nine months. Let him face great caliber superstars and elevate the Intercontinental Championship and then and only then have him maybe lose a match that doesn't really count while still ke- while still keeping the Intercontinental title. Also have him booked as he has been on NXT And with Finn Balor as United States champion, that would really elevate the two mid-card titles. If Ronda Rousey was to win the SmackDown title at WrestleMania, and Becky Lynch retains the, the Raw title at WrestleMania, that would be amazing. Whether we like it or not, this unification match for the top championships is going ahead. So have, if Brock Lesnar is going to commit to more dates, have Brock Lesnar win. If not, have Roman Reigns win. And have WWE bring back the undisputed championship. Have him as the undisputed champion. Have him compete on both shows to get himself over as the top champion, the top guy. And then after maybe six or seven months, have WWE bring back the big gold belt. That would be amazing. And for those that don't know, the big gold belt was the WCW World Heavyweight Championship before it was handed to Triple H in 2002 and became the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. That would be great. I would also love to see Natalia and Shayna Baszler be the WWE Women's Tag Team Champions. I think that would be perfect. I really do.
if they win the tag team titles at Mania. Or if Natalia and Naomi won the titles at Mania. Now, for the Raw Tag Team Champions. I would actually like to see... Randy Orton... And Danian Priest, both as heels, win the Raw Tag Team Championships and have a fucking long run, like a year's run, as undefeated in championship matches tag team champions. I would also love for the Usos to keep their championships, their tag titles at WrestleMania. And I think that would set WWE up post-Mania as a must-watch Raw and SmackDown. Also, get rid of the Raiders and have a booker and an assistant booker. And that'd be everything you need to have WWE set for success post mania and with that i would like to thank my listeners i would like to thank everybody that does great work on the alpha zone i would like to thank the wrestlers that actually give me something to talk about on this podcast i would like everybody to take care of themselves and remember coronavirus is still a thing So please do everything you can to minimise the chances and please look after yourself and any elderly neighbours or elderly relatives in your life. Remember they are a precious resource and that they deserve to be loved and looked after as well. Look out for your friends and your loved ones and I hope everybody stays well. And I will see everybody next week here in the Alpha Zone. Where I hope to have Cat God guest starring next week for a frank discussion on WWE and where they have gone wrong and how they can fix it. You've heard my opinions. So Cat God, the challenge is for you. Will we see you next week here in the Alpha Zone? Will the Cat God appear? Will we have another special guest? Find out next time on The Alpha Zone.